Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm here with Hilary Timmons. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm pleased to think that you think I'm inspiring. <laughs> well, you, you, you certainly are. And uh, also incredibly intimidating, I have to say. <laughs> I'm doing an interview here and, and uh, Hilary has built a career in TV uh, interviewing people. So. No, you're a pro. I've watched what you've been doing. Very good, very good. <laughs> Will you give me tips along the way if I, if you <laughs> I tell me what questions to ask? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give smooth. you smooth, smooth. <laughs> I'm going to give you a bit of a bio so uh, uh, everyone knows the uh, the talent that they're watching uh, here today. So you were born like me, actually, in Auckland, uh, unlike me to Scottish parents. Uh, started out uh, as a uh, model in a modelling career and we'll sort of uh, discuss the story of how you fell into that and then went into TV where you remain, uh, uh, a very um, impressive uh, career that's taken you through uh, a number of different uh, programmes and series uh, starting with It's In The Bag, uh, for those Kiwis watching they will recognise that. Uh, amazing uh, amazing memories of um, uh, Selwyn Toogood and Hilary and uh, and John Hawksby and, and others along the way uh, who hosted that. Lotto, America's Cup, covering America's Cup telethons, which is a charity uh, event that used to run in New Zealand for uh, good causes. And over the years uh, has interviewed some pretty impressive people, including Michael Crawford, Danny Minogue, Christina Aguilera, Jewel, Vanessa May, Jonah Lomu, Sir Peter Blake, uh, and the list that goes on too too long for me to uh, to read it all here. Um, one of the episodes of It's in the Bag, which I'd like to talk to you about, was actually filmed in Antarctica. So we'll come to that. I thought you were going to say you knew someone that had been on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, my mum won the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> What's it to be? I can take it. And uh, currently working on a series actually having first uh, already completed a series called Dreamcatchers which we'll talk about. Um, I actually binge watched it on Air New Zealand uh, on my trip last, last year and found it incredibly inspiring. Uh, lives in London, we both yeah. do, so we're both expats now but travels back to New Zealand quite a lot. Very active in charity. What uh, an impressive track record. So take us back yeah. uh -huh. to the beginning in Auckland. Yeah. Um, How did you get into modelling? Well, I was actually, I was working at um, a place called Pakatoa Reservations. I don't know if you remember, there was an island in the Hauraki Gulf. Yeah, Pakatoa Island. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And um, there was a girl that I worked there with, Fiona, whose boyfriend was a cameraman. And they were looking for a girl to be in a, a music video um, and asked if I would do it. And the director of that then went on to film several other commercials and asked if I would be in those commercials. So it was complete fluke, um, really, if it hadn't been So just for, you, ha you happened to be there or were yeah, put your hand well, up? Well, they were, you know, Fiona and John, the cameraman, were really encouraging of me going yeah. out and, 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 and doing this. And, um, and then I just started to get more and more commercial work. Um, was doing a lot of commercials for the American market. Um, and, and we were chatting earlier about the strange situation you had with, with um, casting in those days where um, I was cast as a mother for a, a commercial for, I can't remember whether it was America or Canada, 
Um, and I was 18 at the time, and I had a 12-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe I just looked really old for my age, I don't know. Um, but because the Americans or the Canadians thought that was okay, then the New Zealand market cast us as a family in, in the Watties tomorrow. And it became a franchise. And it became kind of like... <laughs> Goodness me. Can you remember the music video? Um, what was the music? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the band. Radio with Pictures Days. No, no, they were just starting out actually. They weren't bad, they were pretty good. It began with K, I think. Um, anyway, it's a long It'll time ago, Craig. I'll, I'll link it below. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And then how did how did you progress from modelling into TV? What, what was um, that story? Okay, well in those days you would um, do the beauty pageants. That was that was kind of where you were encouraged to go because it was also quite good for learning public speaking. Um, it was a, a way to sort of get yourself out there. They were actually great fun to do because they'd often in those days um, be pretty well choreographed, like you know the Benson and Hedges Fashion Awards and things like that were all really tightly choreographed. So they were really interesting projects to work on. And um, so, so I did this because this was what the agencies encouraged and um, it became Miss West Auckland, even though I did not live in West Auckland. You weren't a Westie? <laughs> I wasn't a Westie. Pretty close, Green Lane. Oh yeah, that qualifies. Um, an Eastie. Eastie, yeah. Uh, and then um, that took you into the Miss Aucklands, and um, I was really fortunate, again, luck, huge part to play. Um, uh, the choreographer of the Miss Auckland pageant, and it was a big thing that they do in those days, um, turned out to be a director and producer at TVNZ. Right. And so I had no idea, but at that point they were thinking of bringing back It's in the Bag, which had yeah. been kind of a staple of New Zealand yeah. television for years and years and years, um, was so and too good. Uh, and they decided to resurrect it. And so he asked if I would come along to an audition, which was done in front of a live audience. Yeah. Selwyn was there and John Hawkesby. They were all live, weren't they? they? Well, they were recorded as live. Yeah. Um, and we would, I think the Christmas specials were often um, went out live. Live in real but, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did have some funny things happen because they were record recorded as live, um, obviously, as you do. Um, so anyway, I got, I got the gig, um, but yeah. I was completely inexperienced at working on a big production like that. Right. And I remember the first show that we did uh, was in Palmerston North in the big town hall there because we tour around New Zealand and do them in the you know the smaller centres. Yeah. And, um, and it was a big deal. We'd follow this other show around called LMP Top Town. That's um, right. Yeah. yeah, so we'd be like a big family of 30 of us on the road. So it was great fun. Um, the big but TV celebs rolling yeah, into town. Into town. <laughs> And they were really lovely, you know, because whatever ticket sales happened on the night, they'd go, go to a local charity and, mm -hmm. and we'd film around the town as well, so it was quite good. But yeah, this first time on the stage, and um, somebody said, um, could someone please shift the blonde? And I was like, oh, all right, it's a bit, a bit rude, but where would you like me to go? And I didn't realise they were actually talking about the lights. <laughs> they call them reds and blondes. Reds and blondes, oh, that's weird. So yeah, we had, um, <laughs> and we we often had things happen live that um, 
if you were lucky and it happened at the top of the show, you could actually stop and start again. And one of the things that happened to me was we used to have, in those days, these massive batteries for our microphones. Yeah. And they would strap them onto your back or onto your leg or right. somewhere, and then they'd try and hide them in the dress. But all it did was look like you had a hunchback or a you know, deformed <laughs> leg. It was really awful. Um, so I would try and hide these things discreetly. And then you'd feed a wire up to the and I can remember walking onto the stage for one one show and just feeling this thunk. <laughs> the battery. Think, yeah, thinking, oh my gosh, that's I think that's my battery. I really hope it's not taking anything else with it, like my underclothes or anything like that, you know. Um, and I couldn't look down and I was just desperately hoping that um, John or the floor manager had noticed this big brick being dragged along after me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and fortunately they had, so they stopped and started Stopped again. and started again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there may be some people watching who don't know the floor mat. It's, oh. it's like second nature to me, it's in my heart, it's in the bag, but perhaps <laughs> uh, just describe what the show was all about. Um, okay, well first of all, we never screened our contestants, so it would just be the luck of the draw if you got on on the night from the local crowd. Um, and you would be asked three questions, normally they'd be quite simple, but because people would be completely stage struck or never been on a stage in front of their friends and family before, you know, you know, often they, they get the, the answer wrong or answer in some way that, that um, would cause a lot of laughs. And, um, basically, if they got through, then they would be offered the choice of either a bag, so one of my bags, numbers 1 to 15, or the cash, which John would offer them. And in amongst my bags, there would be some fabulous prizes, right. but there would also be three booby prizes. Right. So, you know, they would get that choice, and then it would be, um, you know, oh, I've taken the, taken the bag and uh, missed out on a thousand you know, bucks or something like that. And, you get a wooden spoon um, or something. Oh, yeah. Well, one awful one was um, in Westport, and they just um, made a lot of redundancies with the miners. And uh, one poor guy turned down a thousand dollars, which in those days, this is back in the late 80s, was quite a lot of money. And he won a lump of coal. Oh. It was awful. But you know what? The amazing thing about it's in the bag, and the people that, you know, Came on it was that they they just came on with the right attitude. He just his attitude was I came with nothing. I've gone home with nothing, but I've had a really good time. Um, and nice. yeah, yeah, really oh, lovely. A, that's a what was the uh, what was the sort of strangest or most peculiar thing that happened? Can you uh, unscreen it? You're taking high risk, aren't you? Because you yeah. really don't know what you're going to get from the audience. Yeah. Um, somebody said that they'd take the bag and walked off with me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. uh, is that offensive? <laughs> mm, maybe, a little. <laughs> and then you, you progressed on from this uh, and did many, many things. Lotto was mm. uh, a long gig for you, it was 16 years, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, from from uh, it's in the bag. Very sadly, what happened with it's in the bag was we did a we did a sort of the final swan song where we went to Antarctica and did a Christmas special down there, which was pretty extraordinary. And this is um, on Scott Base, right? This was Scott Base. Yeah, the um, basically they wanted to expose what they were doing in terms of research on the ice to a, a wider, more general sort of audience. Yeah. 
So this was a big Christmas special that we did and went out and filmed in amongst you know, the penguin colonies and um, went you know, across the ice shelves and, and interviewed the scientists and things. It was just unbelievable. Um, and that was sort of pretty much our last Christmas special that we did. And what was happening was the bigger game shows offering the massive prizes. They were you know, a lot more kind of ritzy and glam, like Sale of the Century and Wheel of Fortune were coming in to the New Zealand market. And um, the feeling was that it's in the bag, despite, despite the fact that it was you know, still number one kind of rating show, they thought it wouldn't be able to compete with them. So it got, it got axed. And so I had, I had a couple of years where it was a bit thin on the ground. I was doing guest shows, you know, for, for game shows that they had right. over there and um, celebrity stuff that they did. And I went and did a theatre course uh, yeah. and decided I loved theatre and um, was actually going to head over here. And that would have been about 1991 yeah. um, when I got a call from New Zealand Lotteries Commission um, about doing this program called Kiwi Winners, which was uh, basically covering stories about lottery grants. So okay. going around filming the stories and... Yeah. and um, the people who won? No, um, the lottery funding. Okay. So because, you know, they changed a lot of... Um, a lot of things that used to be government funded, yeah. suddenly we're getting their funding from the Lotteries Commission. Lottery so Commission, remember yeah. the old golden kiwi tickets yeah, and things yeah, like that? Yeah. That was where Lotto sort of started. Yeah. And, and so they started to fund through the Hillary Commission. Not me, <laughs> but Sir Edmund Hillary. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, we used to laugh because the guy who first started doing the draw with Grant Kiriyama, we used to laugh because it was the Hillary Commission and the Lottery Grants. <laughs> But um, yeah, we went around the countryside filming these these recipients of lottery funding, and it was all sorts of things. So you know, you'd have um, age concern, you'd have a local fire station in one of the small you know beachside towns, you'd have um, the albatross colony that right. would receive funding, you'd have um, you know social groups, all sorts of a huge range of, of different things that we went and filmed. Um, so I was doing that. And I had thought, yes, I'll stay and I'll do that because then I can come to London with a bit more money, right, yeah. <laughs> which is always handy. Um, and I'd been doing that for about six months when they decided they were going to move the lotto draw from Auckland to Wellington. Um, and Maurice Wupani, who was doing the draw then, had decided she didn't want to do that. Um, she wanted to pursue her acting career. Uh, and they asked me if I would front lotto. And so. So that sort of was a bit of a, you know, do I want to do that? Because it was a three-year contract. Right. Um, Big commitment. Yeah. You had your sights on London somewhat yeah. at that stage. Yeah, yeah I did. Um, and it was quite funny because I had a lot of friends that worked in the industry and there was sort of some that were like, you know, God, grab it, take it. And there was some that was, oh, is it selling out? You know? Um, in the end, I, I, um, I took it, and, uh, and it was you know, an amazing job to have. It was, it was, uh, it was fabulous, um, because it was, it, was, you know, it was live, it was um, still doing the lottery grant story, so I was still going around the country and filming those. I worked with a terrific co-host, Grant Kiriyama was fantastic to work with. We really you know, had, had a nice kind of chemistry. 
um, they do these incredible, you know, the first ad they did to launch us onto the show was unbelievable. They closed down this massive beachside park and had casts of thousands of different ethnicities and cultural groups and um, had this, this incredible festive fear that they filmed us as being part of. Um, and so it was like being on massive film sets when right. they did those commercials. Uh, and you know they were a really, really good company to work for. They were, um, yeah, they were, they were like family, you know. And it was great. And it was um, every was it weekly or uh, more frequent than that? It was weekly. Weekly. And we would Fifteen also, minutes, is that right? No, it was only it was only five minutes. We would sometimes do specials at Christmas or New right. Year yeah. or. Um, uh, but it was only it was only five minutes. Craig. So what? So what's the sort minutes. of preparation? What 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 was the routine? What was a day in a, or a week in the life of a okay. a lotto host? Well, there'd often be promotional work that you'd do. So you'd go out to um, one of the local lotto stores and and you'd sell tickets and you'd um, do part of a big fair that they'd have and you'd do sort of entertainment and stuff like that. So that was that was a key part of it as well. Yeah. Um, if we had uh, performers like Michael Crawford or Christina Aguilera or um, you know Vanessa May, people like that that came over to New Zealand for, for shows, we would often go and film them, right. interview them, or have them come on the draw. Right. Um, and um, you know, because the the five minutes was um, it's amazing what you can pack into five minutes. No um, but. You know, you'd also have your lottery grant stories that you did, um, and we'd have a script meeting once a week where we'd all sit together and this has to go in, this has to go in, or we're launching a new thing like Strike or when Powerball came into play. You had to figure out how you could fit those things into the draw. Right. So I was quite involved with with that side of things. Would you do your script, or would, would that be? Um, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. end, I was, um, but you know, in the early days, because it was co-host. I went yeah. on to do the draw on my own for a number of years, right. but in the you know the early days it would be like a um, you know an hour-long meeting and we'd throw things in. Right. This needs to be this needs to be covered. This needs to be covered, and this needs to be covered. And then Grant and I would work out what we were going to say. Um, Presumably rehearse. Before yeah, you yeah. You would um, you'd go out to Avalon. The draw went out at, at eight at night, so you'd be at Avalon from six p.m. Um, you'd go to makeup, and then you'd go down to the studio. We did have a huge studio. Um, one of the biggest studios in the Southern Hemisphere, wow. um, Studio 8 at Avalon, um, and so we do we do uh, uh, dress rehearsals, get the lighting right, get the positions of everything right. Yeah. Um, the, when we first started doing it, um, we had these this staircase that we came down that had like a neon light down the side of it, and I'll never forget being told, you know, if you fall. Just don't reach out to the side because you'll electrocute yourself. <laughs> <laughs> health and safety. Yeah, health and safety. Yeah, brilliant. What happened to that? Um, so, so yeah, we we had um, a dress rehearsal about maybe about twenty minutes before we went on air, where they'd use the the, the, the real balls and they'd have the scrutineers and right. um, everybody in place, um, and then you'd have the countdown live to air. Right. Yeah. And when you were actually presenting, um, you had the script obviously organised, but mm. was it in your head? Uh, was there an auto cue that you were using? It, how did it work? It was we had an auto cue, mm -hmm. um, uh, and we had that for years. And then at some point, 
there was a decision made that um, it was it wasn't looking live enough. Like you were saying, it's quite good to have the scrubby, and, you know, a bit of scrappy stuff going on. And, um, so they thought, well, they'll take the auto cue away. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's what we do for a living, so <laughs> it didn't really make any difference. Um, so the only thing was that, yeah, you. I think it was really good for my short-term memory. I developed a really good short-term yeah. memory and a not-so-good long-term memory because right. you have these scripts, five-minute yeah. scripts that you have to sort of lock in yeah. and then you sort of push them out at the other end. How um, much of it, uh, as you filmed, was on script versus a little bit ad-libby? It depended who, you, if you had a guest on, then you obviously, you had to kind yeah. of um, go off, <coughs> off script because you have yeah. to listen to what they said. Right. Um, and and as the as the draw sort of progressed, um, and in the end, the last few years that I was there, it was very much just, you know, it was a bit, for me it had become a bit, they'd stopped doing the guest roles, right. they'd stopped um, doing a lot of the, the things that, that, the lottery grant stuff, they'd stopped doing a lot of the things that I'd loved about it, and yeah. it had become for me slightly Groundhog Day-ish, and that the only difference was the numbers coming out, and it right. was all kind of scripted on auto-cue. You really knew um, what you were doing. You kind of, yeah. it sort of, yeah, lost for me a, a bit of its appeal. But you did have some uh, marvellous guests on. You mentioned a couple already, Michael Crawford. Um, mm. Any highlights there for you? Yeah, he was a, such a nice man, mm. and we actually interviewed him twice. Uh, and it was quite funny because I never assumed for a minute that he would remember that I'd interviewed him before. Um, and so the second time I was, I was asking him something and reintroducing myself, and he said, he said "Yes, I know, Hillary. We've met before. Don't you remember?" Marvelous <laughs> no, memories. Well, he would. Somebody would have told him, you know, yeah. his his, um, his agent or his PA or something that that uh, oh, you know, you've met these guys before. Okay. Um, I'm sure of it. But <laughs> he was, you know. But it's that kind yeah. of thing that um, yeah, he sort of really warms you to a person. It's an extraordinary juxtaposition as a character, isn't he? Because I re I remember him as uh, Frank Spencer. I know. I know. Right. What was the program called? Uh, oh. Some mums do some have mums, him. Yeah, some mums right. do have him. And yeah. he was this sort of um, bumbling, sort of Mr. Bean-like uh, yeah. comic yeah. actor. And then he shows up as the uh, main character in Phantom of the Opera yeah. with this incredible voice. I remember oh, working yeah. in a pizza restaurant with my mate Mike, making pizzas, listening to Phantom of the Opera. And yeah. This is Michael Crawford. He was extraordinary. But he started off singing because he was in Hello Dolly. Right. With okay. Barbara Streisand. So this was I a remember, return. Yeah, yeah. I'm very good with movies. <laughs> Fantastic. I want to uh, I want to move on and, and uh, talk about Dreamcatchers because mm. that's uh, that's your current project. Uh, I, as I said at the outset, found this uh, Dreamcatchers series sitting on Air New Zealand, uh, flying from London to Auckland. It's plenty of plenty of time, about thirty <laughs> yeah. hours. Not much else to do. And I just started watching them, and they're these stories that uh, that uh, Hillary masterfully uh, crafts about Kiwis who were doing really inspiring things and as a Kiwi myself I found it really really uplifting uh, to watch. Where did the idea come from and uh, what's uh, what's happening next? Yeah, they, um, when I moved over here um, it was not long after the Christchurch earthquake had happened and so there was a, it, that galvanised a lot of the New Zealand community to pull together um, on this side of the world and all around the world actually mm -hmm. to sort of try and, and help raise funds for Christchurch and it was at those events 
that I started to meet Kiwis such as yourself, you know, I didn't meet you then, but I've met you now, you should have been in the series, um, who I thought, you know, why don't we know about these Kiwis back home? How come we never hear about them? And our young people should be celebrating what, what we're doing on a, on a world stage. Because, you know, I'm talking about people like Dave Judith Jones, Mayhew Jonas, who was the first woman to lead the City of London, yes. the first woman to be a chair of the yes. Royal Opera House, yes. the first woman to be a provost of King's College in Cambridge, um, the CEO of, of Virgin Group is a Kiwi, um, the CEO of the Royal Bank of Scotland is a Kiwi, there's all these New Zealanders doing entertainment, doing interior design, but are household names here, and, and you know, we should be celebrating them. Um, and so the idea sort of just sort of simmered away, um, and I I sort of approached, you know, um, several several places back in New Zealand about trying to raise funding for it, but it never sort of got off the ground. Um, and then um, I got talking to a Kiwi guy over here called Kent Gardner, who's um, a remarkable person, and he had been thinking along similar lines that you know our young people should be yeah. hearing these stories and be inspired, and so he came on board as a mentor and um, and also was very involved in sort of helping me to make it happen, introducing me to the right people in terms right. of getting the extra funds that were required. Not cheap, right? Um, not cheap, not for broadcast quality. And yeah. um, I wanted it to be a really good quality production. Which it is. Um, because I wanted it to, to be stimulating for young people. Um, I wanted them to see the very best of these people and also, you know, they deserved to look their best and sound their best and, and come across as they are, which is, you know, they're great New Zealanders. So, um, so that was that was a key for me that it be be a quality production. Um, and so, once the, the funding was raised, I worked very closely um, with Tanya Beersley from Kia, uh, who Shout came out on board. Shout out to Tanya. Tanya, go Tanya, who came on board as um, our research assistant, and she and I would get together um, over coffees and start batting names around and, and who can we, you know, who's who's here and who would work with this and the idea was to theme each episode yeah. because that was the cleanest way to do it. Right. So we had like um, arts and culture, entertainment, right. business leaders, high performance for sport, you know, homes and gardens. So so there was there was sort of an entrepreneurs and yeah. so they, it was quite easy to sort of slot people in right. to, to different sort of areas. And um, because it was also hopefully, you know, the idea was that it would go into into schools in New Zealand. I'd um, formed a relationship with a company called Network for Learning, who had a digital platform called Pond, that was connecting all of the schools in New Zealand, so that it would be able to be used as a as a. Um, it would become part of their program. They could put it in, right. and it would become a resource for teachers in the to, curriculum, to, yeah. to use. Um, unfortunately. Uh, once, once the series was made, that that had been disbanded. Um, but well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, but yeah, so that was that was where it was ultimately going to end up. Right. Um, and so we went out. We filmed it over about two months in London. Um, a small crew. Uh, there were five of us that went round. We filmed more than sixty New Zealanders um, because I wanted to have. Originally, I wanted to, to have them all in there, um, and I wanted to have as many different types of stories mm. as I could as I could get, Something so that everyone. you could kind of yeah yeah, and eventually you know, 
the, the program would expand so that if, you know, all those stories would get heard. Um, so we filmed 60, 60 stories, uh, not just in London, but um, we went around the country. Um, we found those Kiwis. We tracked them down. Um, Using the chips yeah, that we're all yeah. issued with, of course. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, we'd have about half hour interviews, which then in the editing suite got narrowed down to, it had to be punchy yep. because, you know, young people's concentration spans nowadays, they, they boom, 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 boom. So in the end, TVNZ did take the program to broadcast it, which was fantastic. Um, although they hadn't been on board with funding, um, they did decide that yeah, it was it was good they'd take it. So we had uh, eight 22-minute episodes with four Kiwis, four fantastic Kiwis featuring each episode. So each story was about five minutes long. Yeah. So it was like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And and that's where uh, my partner Rob, Robert Whitehouse, who's involved in films, was invaluable because. He would um, oversee, like I'd go yeah. and work in the editing suite with Shout the editor. Shout out to Rob. Shout out to Rob. And and um, and Rob would, um, you know, keep an eye on the pace mm. to make sure that they were all at a similar pace. So right. it was, you know, um, if I was dragging my heels with someone, nah, you need to. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I have to say, it's beautifully filmed, beautifully constructed, and uh, I can say from personal experience, it really does draw you in and and and, and keep you moving through those stories. Imagine there's a, a, a classroom in uh, Napier or Nelson or Hamilton watching, watching mm -hmm. now. Um, what, uh, what is it about this thing that uh, should attract them? Why, why should they watch, watch what you've done here? I think they should watch because the lessons that each person give, gives is kind of invaluable in terms of, of us as New Zealanders, there's definite things that Kiwis have um, on a on a world stage that make us special. Um, you know, because we're an isolated country, we do generalise. So we do a lot of things. We get a lot of good grounding in a lot of different areas. Um, so we understand things from you know the ground up. Often, um, we're also problem solvers mm. because I guess. You can hark back, you know, to our DNA and the number eight wire, and the, you have to, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't um, find somebody to do something, so you'd have to figure out how to do it yourself. Right. So we are problem solvers. We're egalitarian, so you know, I think in places like the UK, UK, not so much now, but there was a lot of boxing in of people. Um, yeah. Whereas we'd come over and we couldn't really be boxed, you know. Um, so, so that that was a that was a help. Um, and tenacity, you know, we don't tend to give up. We yeah. we kind of like once we get our teeth into something, we're sort of like yeah. dogs with a bone, and we're gonna we're gonna do it. I mean, take this for instance. And I don't consider myself for a minute to have been a tenacious person, but this took from the time I made the trailer to try and get funding. It was 2014. Right. And this went to air in New Zealand, you know, last year. Wow. So it. It doesn't happen overnight, yeah. you know, and we Four cannot years. expect that. And yeah. I think that's a really important lesson for young people to understand as well. That, you know, um, hard graft. You, yeah, yeah. you got to put in the hours, and 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 everything that, even from my perspective, from my career, you know, I put in a lot of hours doing a lot of things that people might not have known that I did, like the writing of the scripts, yeah. like the directing of some of the inserts yeah. for the draw, like all of that, which 
has now been a huge help for me, you know, to write and direct and produce this. Yeah. Um, New you know, experience for you, yeah. even though you've been in the industry a long yeah. time. Yeah, so you can start doing one thing yeah. and you can end up doing something completely different but the skills that you learn in another area can sometimes be um, invaluable later on. Do you know what, I think that's a fantastic message for young people, right? We live in this world where the only constant is change mm, I know. and being able to sort of reinvent yourself and pivot and learn mm. new skills on a continuous basis is just uh, invaluable. I'm really excited to hear what happens next with this series. I'm very hungry to see more. Okay, well, what's going to happen next is, like I mentioned earlier, the, the uh, fortunately the Pond platform was disbanded. So I've been busy trying to work out um, ways of, of trying to get it into the educational system so that young people in New Zealand do see it. Um, and I've been in various conferences and uh, things with, with my main backers as well, which were Kent and, and the wonderful Paul Goff, who was also yeah. really involved Paul, with, yeah. the, yeah, with the idea that, that you know, Paul. shout out to Paul, so that, so that our, our kids see these stories and feel inspired. Um, so, and this is where you come in too with Google, because, um, you know, of course, um, YouTube is the natural place for it to go because it's the easiest way for, for them to access it. Um, so, so that's what I'm working on and you're kindly showing me how you do yeah. all of these things so well. that of course I can update the stories as well because, and keep adding to them. You know, because there'll be more and more stories that come up and, and, and actually you know, some of these people that we filmed, they're doing even bigger and better things now than they were when I filmed them. So you know, I need to update those stories. Part two, um, part three, and etc. Yeah, yeah. So, if somebody's interested in uh, funding, how do they do that? Oh well, they can. Um, can they come on through you? Can they? They can contact? come on through me. I'll put yeah. the link below. Great. Uh, through your Great. website. Yeah, that'd a website be fantastic. And yeah. we've got contact information on that. But yes, yeah. the sponsorship for this would be absolutely incredible. So um, yeah, if, if you, you know, if you can help in any way. Um, and you want, and it's not just you know New Zealand kids; it's all young people to just see these stories and, and appreciate. Absolutely, that, uh, this is maybe how you too could be great. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, re I really look forward to that. And we can spend some. 15 minutes afterwards to talk about how to get it onto YouTube because that's Great. pretty pretty easy as well. Um, Thank you. But you know, uh, all of these things cost money, don't they? So, uh, you yeah. know. And this has been a labour of love for me. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it really has. And so. an absolutely delightful one. Look, any closing messages? A lot of the people who watch this are uh, probably ending their schools or maybe coming out of university, maybe even having uh, their first pivot mm -hmm. in their career. Any advice? Mm. Just do it. <laughs> Get on with it. Um, you know, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a lotto commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fantastic advice and, and uh, timeless advice. Uh, Hilary Timmons, you're an absolute inspiration. Thank you so much for spending your time. Thank you. <laughs>